0: Hey, it is a big week at Regen. I feel like we should have started, we should have done fall kickoff like last weekend because really everything's getting started this weekend because this, we got blessed groups that start this week. If you're leading a blessed group, could you stand if you're leading a blessed group? If you're a blessed group leader, these are your people. Michael, stand up. You're leading a blessed group. Uh, If you're, if you're leading in the youth group that starts this week, could you also stand up for me? Yeah. Can we, I want to pray for these leaders. So if you're near them, could you put like a hand on their back? If you're near them, we're going to pray for, um, yeah, let's them. Let's, let's kind of lay hands. That's good. That's how we commission people in Scripture. Father, thank you for these leaders. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice of their time and energy. Uh, thanks for the way that they are doing uncomfortable things. Uh, Lord, we just pray for supernatural breakthrough in the groups that they lead this year, um, and that this would be us stepping out in faith just to meet you, and that you would meet us there. Uh, protect them, protect marriages when they're married. Um, Lord, give them grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Super excited about that. Yeah, youth group starts this week, which will be fun. Um, Last week, we kicked off a series on proclamation and demonstration called Show and Tell, because that's how Terry Veneta summarized that sermon a few months ago, and I liked it. Uh, And so we are doing this series on show and tell. It's this call on our lives to proclamation and demonstration, and in this series, what I want to offer you is just practical steps, practices that you can add into your life so that you can come alongside the non-Christian friends and neighbors you have and just introduce them to Jesus. Why? Because our vision is to give everyone in our neighborhoods and networks an opportunity to see, hear, and respond to the good news of Jesus. So these are the practices that we're going to be working through in this series. Last week, we started with missional listening uh, this week and the next couple of weeks, we're slanting back onto the demonstration side. So this week, we're talking about praying for the lost. Next weekend, we're talking about moving in the manifestations of the Spirit. The weekend uh, in this series, the weekend after that, my friend Eric, our friends Eric and Amanda Marshall, um, are going to come and talk to us about neighboring, giving everyone in our neighborhoods and networks. So how do we neighbor in a Christian way? Eric and Amanda are just phenomenal missionaries in their neighborhood, so we're excited to hear from them. And then the last uh, sermon in this series is back to proclamation. And this is where I need your help. I want to tailor the proclamation sermon around what you're hearing as you're engaged in missional listening. So last week we talked about missional listening is being on the lookout for where our friends and neighbors and our family members are on a quest for the true, the beautiful and the good, right? And so we're trying to listen, uh, for those, um, those questions. So truth could be, is Jesus the only way? Uh, beauty is, could have questions to do with like, should I be pursuing a relationship or not? Uh, goodness could be your friend that's just really relentlessly pursuing social justice and then feeling kind of down on that. I want to hear what you're hearing. And so we've created two pathways for this. Uh, one is a fancy whiteboard in my bad handwriting at the back of the room. And you can write on a post-it note questions or things you're hearing slap those up there. Uh, There'll be a few text message prompts over the next few weeks. You could reply that way. And then what I'm going to do is tailor and like kind of build that last sermon on proclamation to kind of maybe get at the heart of some of the questions that we're hearing. Because what if a common question is, is Jesus the only way? Well, then I'll tailor that sermon and do some equipping with you around how do we know the exclusive claims of Jesus are true, those kinds of things. So Uh, That'll be that one, but today we're talking about uh, this next practice uh, because here's why. We we need to listen. Why do we need to listen? We said this last week. We need to listen because we're actually really, really good at answering questions no one is asking. We're really good at answering questions no one is asking, and I'll tell you what, if you're a non-Christian in the room or if you're listening online, you know that better than any of us, right? Because the Christians in your life are constantly proposing solutions to your problems that you didn't ask for. Right? Um, Nor is it clear how trust in Jesus because he lived and died and rose again solves the immediate issue of whatever's going on in your life. We want to be listening. We want to learn how to ask good questions because, in this blitzkrieg of words, right, where opinions and words are just everywhere, what we want to do is zag where our world is zigging. Where our world is zigging toward more words, we're going to zag toward listening, we're going to zag toward showing and telling, right? This is what you learn, by the way, when you write papers, right? Uh, show, don't tell, right? That's what we're talking about, is how do we demonstrate the gospel uh, this morning when we have friends that are on the quest for the true, the beautiful, and the good? Uh, and this sermon is sparked by conversations I've had with you. So, fair warning, anything you say or do can and will be used in a <laughs> I think that's good because here's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be a church that's on mission together. So I want to hear what our missionaries are saying. I want to filter that back through and equip you in real time to what's happening. So I was really thankful for these two conversations I had this week, neither of which I asked permission to share. Um, (laughs) The first conversation was with a teacher in our community, uh, and she's just eager to share Jesus with her students. There's a lot of teachers at our church. She's eager for her students to know Jesus, but the reality is if you're in a school, there's kind of some some policies in place, some rules there that limit what you can and can't say. She wanted to honor that. That's good. That's biblical, honoring the authority over you, Uh, but she also wants to honor Jesus, and so we were talking, and she said it's almost like demonstration needs to come first so that students open the door, and then I can do some proclamation. It's like, Yes. Do you want to preach next weekend? No. Um, Then, uh, so another person kind of reached out to me, and they're in a corporate setting, and she was saying that her coworkers just have no interest in spirituality of any kind. It's not that they don't like Jesus, but they like horoscopes. I mean, they don't, they would, nothing, like no spirituality, anything. By the way, we'll get into this next week. That's part of secularism called the bounded self. Um, But there's just no interest in this outside intervention or interruption, no spiritual reality. But the tension there is, this person sees that in their coworkers just massive anxiety and depression and things, and I mean, at the end of the day, we do believe that Jesus can do something about that, yeah? Okay, hang on. We do believe that Jesus can do something about that, yeah? Thank you, okay. So, so, what is, so they said to me, well, what do I say? What do I say to this? And there's, this person's in management, so you've got like balance of power stuff. So how do we proclaim the gospel in settings where there's an imbalance of power? Like in a school or in management? For that matter, forget that. How do you proclaim the gospel when everybody in your life knows what you're going to say? Plot twist. Your non-Christian friends probably already think they know what you're going to say to them. Your kids, your grandkids, that you want to be in church so bad, they know what you're going to say to them, right? So how do we kind of cut through all of that? What we, what we need to find a way to do is, is to lean into this, this hope and this prayer that our friends and neighbors and our family members, that they would have an encounter with the power of God that is so inexplicable and so undeniable but that, that they repent and put their place, faith in Jesus, which means... Uh, we have come to a sermon on prayer. Blank, blank. Right? Uh, here's here's the thing: prayers, sermons on prayer are a bummer because of this reason. Um, you, a lot of you, have been praying for your friends and family to come and know Jesus personally. I mean, some of you have been doing that for decades, and nothing. Just nothing. Uh, you've been praying for your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members to have a fruitful life of discipleship to Jesus. Nothing. And so if we're being really, really honest, if I'm being really, really honest, here's what's happened. I, I, I have come to the secret conclusion that prayer doesn't work, Right? We've come to the secret conclusion that prayer doesn't really work. Before we ever sit down to pray, we have decided that more than likely what we are doing will make no difference. And so what we do is we pray, but we do not pray out of confidence, we pray out of obedience. We do not pray out of confidence, we pray out of obedience. And in the process, prayer becomes drudgery. Prayer becomes, for me, the equivalent of algebra, I do it because I have to do it for one year in high school, but it has no real relevance in my life, right? Now, some of, there's like an engineer in the room that's like, "Wait, what about me?" Okay, an art class for you, right? Um, you did it because you had to. Has no real relevance to your life. So it, it it's like doing algebra homework. It's like necessary but not enjoyable, obedience but not confidence. Am I am I the only one? Is this Okay, I think if you don't feel what we're feeling in this sermon, it's probably just because you're not praying, right? Like, you've just never tried, so that's okay. Um, And it turns out, if that's how you feel, if deep down you've kind of decided that it's just not going to work because you've prayed before and nothing has happened, you're in good company. Let's look together at Matthew 17. Matthew 17, starting in verse 14 in my very large print Bible. see it from over here. Mm -mm. verse 14 at the foot of the mountain a large crowd was waiting for them them is Jesus and his disciples they were on this mountain a man came and knelt before Jesus and said Lord have mercy on my son he has seizures and, and suffers terribly he often falls into the fire or into the water so I brought him to your disciples look at this verse 16 but they couldn't heal him In Matthew 17, Jesus' disciples have been prayerful, but they have not been fruitful. Jesus said, you'll have the power to cast out demons. They're like, okay, and they pray for this, nothing. This week, I I feel this. This week, I prayed for somebody in our huddle to receive healing. So they had something going on. I prayed for them. I said, do you feel better? I hate that part. I said, do you feel better? They said, no. (laughs) So Jesus, there's this, instance in the gospels where Jesus prays for the same person twice in a row okay it's a blind guy prays for him he says I can kind of see trees moving around then Jesus prays for him again and his sight is restored so I said okay just trying to be like Jesus pray for him again so I pray for this person our huddle again is it any better no I brought this my kid to your disciples and they they couldn't heal him So look at how Jesus responds to their fruitless prayer in verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, don't worry about it, guys. I love you anyway. Actually, he says this. You faithless and corrupt people. (laughs) It gets better. How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him, and from that moment, the boy was well. I mean, ouch, Jesus. Right? I'm out here trying, man. And like, you're kicking me while I'm down. I'm out here. I'm, I'm praying for people. I'm trying. I'm trying to rely on the Holy Spirit. I can't, and it's not happening. And your response is, you corrupt generation. Okay, thanks. It gets better. It gets better. So they have this moment in verse 19. It says, afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, probably privately, because they were like, well, he was so harsh the first time, don't let anybody else be around, you know. Um, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? Jesus says in verse 20, you don't have enough faith. Okay, again, Jesus, tell me something I don't know, right? I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, a mustard seed is, is the smallest of seeds, It is approximately the size of the X in the corner of an ad on your phone that you're trying to close. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? It's like this big. Just trying to, if your faith, Jesus says, if, if you had faith even as small as an X on an ad to close it, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Jesus, it sounds like he's rebuking us, right? You have little faith. I think actually what Jesus is trying to do is raise the horizon on what we think is possible. He's echoing here these passages throughout the Gospels, with God, nothing would be impossible. He's saying there's this level of faith that we can attain to that would move mountains. Nothing would be impossible. I think Jesus is actually inviting us to dig in. So we need to talk about what is going wrong, and what we can do about it, right? What is going wrong? Because here's the deal. These are the questions that we have for Jesus. Like, why didn't my loved one get better when I prayed for them, right? Here's my questions. Why, why isn't God protecting my friends from, like, just relentless spiritual attack, right? Love the sound of babies. Um, I don't think it's mine, so I'm not worried about it. Um, <laughs> Um, Why aren't they getting better? I mean, these are our questions. Jesus, like, why couldn't we cast this demon out? Jesus says, you don't have enough faith. We have a faith problem. We have a faith problem, right? Jesus is saying that as a group, we we have a faith problem. So let's flip to Mark chapter 6. Just flip a couple pages over to Mark six. Mark six, starting in verse one. In Mark six, Jesus is in his hometown. He's in Nazareth, and he's teaching in the synagogue. And a lot of people hear him. They're surprised. Look at what happens. This is starting in Mark chapter six, starting in verse one. Jesus left part of the that part of the country, returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary. Can I freak you out for just a second? Jesus isn't a carpenter, he's a stonemason. Just learned this this week. Um, The word for carpenter is mistranslated in English. It's actually better translated stonemason. So feel free to let that blow your mind. Ken Shea looked surprised. That means, I could be very wrong, <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, he's just, what's that? No, I, I looked it up, was anyway, okay. <clears throat> That's not, he's just a carpenter or a stonemason. I don't know, he works with his hands. Uh, Son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They think Jesus is just getting too big for his britches, right? They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. And Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. When we drove back to Warren, Ohio in May of 2013 to pastor here, that's all seven hours on the trip from Chicago back home. A prophet is not welcome in his hometown. That's just what I kept thinking about. And he's not respected by his family. You know, it's true about this in my experience. All of, everybody in our church, oh my gosh, we love Kyle so much. There's missionaries in the room, people that we serve, I love him so much. You get into your family gathering, oh, it's just you. It's the way that God keeps us humble. No, you know what? The only people that text me on Sunday mornings when I have a few things going on are my family. Do you know what I mean? It's like they just can't, anyway. Prophet is... Honored everywhere except in his hometown. And because of their unbelief, look at this, verse 5. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Okay, hear me out. Jesus' ability to perform miracles and healing is limited, according to verse 5, by the faith of the group. Um... That, we, that I'm preaching the sermon, that we're, we're having a workshop at our church called Naturally Supernatural um, makes 2021 Kyle dead to 2011 Kyle. Okay, did not think the miraculous, the supernatural was real. And part of that was I really struggled with, you know, let's say I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for Carmen and I pray for Carmen, he doesn't get healed and it doesn't happen. The only answer I'd ever heard for why that didn't happen was because I didn't have enough faith or Carmen didn't have enough faith. And I was like, well, that's harsh. I didn't like that. But as we actually give a closer examination to the text, what God is able to do among a certain people is actually reflected in the measure of their corporate faith, not their individual faith. in places where faith was high, where expectation was high, right? Jesus could be walking through a crowd and somebody could grab the bottom of his robe and they'd be healed because expectation was so high. But here in Nazareth, expectation is so low, right? Expectation is so low that what Jesus is able to do is very limited. And and this actually makes sense when you pause and think about how the Bible tends to talk to groups more than it talks to individuals. We've lost that in American Western individualism, but it's true. The Bible tends to talk to y'alls, not you, right? The new Testament letters are addressed to groups. And so it makes sense that it's, it's our shared lack of faith that limits what God is able to do. It's our, it's our shared uh, low expectations. Um, And a way that I was convicted about this just a few months ago in another huddle I was leading um, was a a family member of mine who doesn't know Jesus um, was heading in for a, a pretty significantly major surgery. And so somebody in the huddle prayed for him, and they prayed that through that process, he would come to know Jesus. And I was so convicted because I wasn't praying that way for this family member of mine because I had done what you've maybe done. I had just written off the possibility of that ever happening. I mean, you just have some people in your life that as far as you're concerned, like, the Browns are more likely to win the Super Bowl than them, like, ever come to know Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) like, It's a leader's job to define reality. I'm just trying to define reality for you. Um, But seriously, see what I mean? Like there's just people in your life that you've just kind of, it's not that you don't love them or don't wish that, but your expectation is just so low that you've kind of just set them in this other category of it's just never going to happen. And I was just so convicted by that. And I realized in that moment, there are certain areas of breakthrough that we're seeking after, perhaps in like the salvation of a loved one or a family member, there's certain areas of breakthrough that we're seeking after where what we need is people around us to have high expectation because our expectations are so low, right? Like we need somebody praying with us. We need community to contend with us in prayer and that community has to be desperate in its reliance on the Holy Spirit, Right? It has to have high expectation, high faith that God can and will move in our midst. And that, by the way, is the function of gathered worship. Right? It increases our faith, it increases our expectation as we sing back to God, You are Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. It increases our expectation that God maybe really can do and be those things in real time in our lives. the disciples were fruitless in prayer in Matthew 17 because they their their corporate level of expectation was low and so Jesus in a parallel passage to Matthew 17 I think it's the version of in Luke Jesus actually says some demons can only be cast out by fasting and prayer he calls them to like a deeper abiding so that their expectation would increase right and so uh, This is where we start to get into, like we've named the problem, like this low level of shared faith. Um, But that's what's wrong. How do we figure out what's right? Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 now, Matthew 7. Okay. Now, my Bible has some headings, as you can probably see from the back row. Uh, I thought, I didn't think giant print would be so giant, you know what I mean? Um, But my, my heading says effective prayer. I'd be interested in knowing what effective prayer is, right? And so Jesus says this in Matthew 7, verse 7. Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, here's what's absolutely key in this verse, is that the, the verbs in the original Greek indicate ongoing action, Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. That's why I like the new living of this. Uh, keep on knocking. Not ask once or twice and when it doesn't happen, give up. Not ask once or twice and then give up. It's this persistence in prayer and, and, and it's an intensifying It's one thing to ask. It's another thing to seek. It's another thing to knock. It's one thing for me to ask God to heal somebody um, in my huddle every once in a while. It's it's another thing to start more consistently praying in the moment, laying hands on someone, asking that God would heal them. It's another thing to then ask, hey, does it feel better? Right? And it's an intensification of prayer Not to get us all emotionally whipped up into a frenzy. It's an intensification of prayer on the basis of the character of God. Look at verse 9. You parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? I think Jack sometimes feels like I give him a stone when I don't give him another brownie. But, right... Preach. If, you, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? No. If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? No. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Luke's version again of this says, who will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Interesting. Interesting. Jesus is calling us, not calling us to pray, but he's not calling us to pray out of mere obedience. He's, He's calling us to pray out of confidence in who God is, who our Father is. If you then, who are sinful, know how to give your kids good things, man, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? And so that's why we persevere in prayer that we keep on seeking and we keep on knocking and we keep on asking and we keep diving in. So here was my response and it shocked me to the person in our community. They said, what do I do with this person at work? I've got this issue. I feel like Jesus could help. They have no interest. What do I say? Here's what I said. I was surprised that I said this. I was texting it and I was like, this is weird. I said, must have been from the Lord. I said, stop trying, scrap proclamation, give up and start praying that Jesus would heal them. And if that doesn't work, fast and pray that Jesus would heal them. And if that doesn't work, get a prayer partner to pray with you. And if that doesn't work, get a prayer partner to fast and pray with you that Jesus would heal them. And if that doesn't work, get more prayer partners to fast and pray that Jesus would heal them. And if that doesn't work, let's call our whole church together to pray for this person that Jesus would heal them. And when he does, And they say to you, wow, I can't explain it, but my anxiety has just gotten so much better. You say to them, that is because me and my friends prayed every day and fasted once a week for your freedom. And the God who loves you and desires to set you free did that, repent and believe the good news. Right? Let's show them the undeniable power of God long before we tell them about it. Right? asking seeking knocking it's this ever intensifying posture but we would do none of that we would do none of that you're not going to drive out to a prayer meeting in our prayer room by the way last room on the right now designated as a prayer room no napping only prayer um, it's a comfy couch um, uh, 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 you would never drive out to a prayer meeting like that if you've already come to the conclusion that it's not going to do anything you would, never, you would never fast for this person to experience freedom if you've already come to the conclusion that it's not going to do anything. But Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Surround yourself with other people who have a high expectation of breakthrough in this. Right? James Hudson Taylor, uh, one of the first missionaries to inland China. If you ever get an email from me, I have a quote at the bottom of my email from him. That's for me, not for you. But he has this other quote, and I've not been able to find the context of it, but it appears to me that he is talking to someone who's about to go into a new area of China where um, the gospel hasn't come yet, or maybe it's been really hard. And the full quote is Brother, if you would enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. If you're going to take the gospel to a place, That it's never really been heard before if you're going to take the gospel to a place that's been rejected before if you're going to take the gospel to a place that's particularly hard-hearted against it if you're going to take new territory for the kingdom of god brother you got to go forward on your knees listen fam if we're gonna if we're gonna see the fruit that jesus has promises us we will have right 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold is what he says if we're going to see lives changed by the gospel, if we're going to see a level of breakthrough that none of us have ever seen before, we've got to go forward on our knees. It's the only option. And you know, if last week I said, uh, I, preaching the gospel in this cultural moment, proclamation means a radical recommitment to Jesus as way, truth, and life, then for us in this cultural moment, demonstration is a radical recommitment to Prayer. I skipped this part earlier, I want the Billy Graham quote. I missed that earlier. And here's the thing. A lot of us think that evangelism and proclamation, it's about presenting the right amount of facts for a person to change their mind. Maybe if I just say the right things, but look at what Billy Graham, Billy Graham, the most fruitful proclamation focused evangelist of the last century, okay, says, prayer is crucial in evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone who is in rebellion against him. Okay, just by the way, stop and notice, like, it's not just a series of accidents, sin, it's, it's rebellion against God. All right? No matter uh, how logical our arguments or how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's spirit prepares the, prepares the way. My hope is that there's an invitation and a challenge in the sermon. Um, And I'm hoping that the challenge is calling you to a deeper level of prayer. But I'm hoping the invitation is, for those of you that are freaked out by the idea of ever sharing the gospel with your mouth to someone else, that I'm giving you something that you can grab onto, and that is prayer that lets God's Spirit lead the way. Right? I'm hoping that feels like a relief. The challenge will come when I talk a little bit more about prayer, because how do we do this? How do we pray in such a way that God's spirit prepares the way? Well, the first thing we want to do is we want to pray that God would supernaturally open a person's heart and mind to the gospel. If you're a Wesleyan in this room, this is an act of prevenient grace. If you're a Calvinist in this room, this is an act of irresistible grace. Uh, if you don't care all it is about either of those things, all I'm saying is you need God to go first, to open their hearts and minds. So we pray fervently that God would open our loved ones, our friends, our family, our neighbors, their hearts and minds to the gospel. Why? Because look at what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. There's a supernatural phenomenon happening in the mind of a person who doesn't believe such that it's just more than like presenting the facts that would make them say, oh, that makes sense, I'll become a Christian. There's a spiritual warfare element that you're contending against. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul says that he prays for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. You kind of lose it in the New Living Translation there. That our, the eyes of our hearts need to be enlightened. We need supernatural intervention for God to move in our friends' minds. It's more than just stringing the right words together. I think there's an important part about making a good argument and understanding your faith and being able to communicate that in a compelling way. However, without prayer, it's just more talk, right? Right? But if God goes before you and opens a person's heart and mind and they're ready to receive it, man, if you've gone to war and done that spiritual warfare, we've got to pray, first of all, because some of you, some, by the way, I hope if that's all you learned today, I don't know how to pray for my lost friends and neighbors. If all you learned today was to pray that God would open their hearts and mind, go ahead and just shut your brain down for the rest of the sermon. Because some of us just genuinely don't know what to do, right? Like, how do I pray for someone that's lost? Second thing, though, is you want to pray... That God would heal what needs to be healed. That he would restore what needs to be restored. That he would relieve what needs to be relieved. That he would break off whatever needs to be broken off. That he would give freedom where there is slavery, no matter what that person does after that moment. Okay? Our friend Paul McConaughey, who uh, is leading Naturally Supernatural, Friday from 6.30 to 8.30, Saturday from 9 to 3. Registration at eventbrite.com in your email. Um. Had a massive move of the Holy Spirit go through their church in the '90s, and they would do prayer and worship nights and healing nights, and um, began to see more and more healings to the point that they saw someone um, with stage four bone cancer come into their worship gatherings, be totally healed of cancer. He did not give his life to Jesus. Went and traveled the world with his new health, died. Now that's heartbreaking on some level. Some of you might even think, like, "How dare he? Like spit in the hands." This is a person made in the image of God. God's desire for a person is not suffering, is not harm. Um, We pray that God would break off what needs to be broken off and heal what needs to be healed. Because Jesus says in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is a a declaration of both physical and spiritual release. He's come to offer freedom and release to those in need of healing and restoration as well as to overturn unrighteous sinful systems. We can pray that a person will have an encounter with God, with God's power, so they would engage in the presence of God. We want to pray that people would have an encounter with the power of God in such a way that they would then open to the presence of God. And a few of this, I think this can be done anonymously. You can start praying for a friend or family member or a coworker anonymously right now. And then you can kind of turn up the temperature over time. You can start saying, hey, I've been praying for you. You can start asking, how can I pray for you about that? You can then start to send them back, hey, this is a passage of scripture that came to mind while I was praying for you, or this is a written out version of what I am praying for you. Preston, just to call him out, is very fruitful in this. He's really just devoted to like praying for his non-Christian friends. Um, and it's been really cool to see what God's doing there. Uh, You can up the ante by praying for them out loud in person. You can up the ante by laying a hand. You can up the ante. Uh, This is a movement from asking, seeking, knocking. You can up the ante by asking, hey, how does that feel? Do you feel better? You can up the ante by asking for a prayer partner. You can up the ante by fasting, And and this is, just as a quick note, back to that family thing, for for those friends and family that you have like written off as like never going to happen, what I would do if I were you um, is find a prayer partner and swap lists. So who's your list of people that as far as you're concerned, it's never going to happen? Who's their list of people that as far as you're concerned, it's never going to happen? Swap lists, pray for each other, set a time together weekly over the phone, whatever to pray together for those people. Right, but swap lists. For the people that you are like, I don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the expectation that God would ever do this. Swap. Right? Ask, seek, knock. Pray anonymously. Start saying out loud. Get other people to pray with you. Fast pray. You're not going to do any of that if you come to the conclusion that prayer doesn't work, which is why I'm even just kind of trying to spark this morning. Do we have a fundamental belief that prayer does work? Because if we don't, Let's just turn off all the lights and go home. Right? We got to go forward on our knees. And as we do this, I just want to let you know my faith is high. My expectation is high. Got some really clear words this week about harvest. Really clear words about abundance coming our way just for multiple people. Galatians 6-9 over and over and over again. It's on my phone because I want to remember it. That we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Right? I mean, my faith is high that we're, Steph is praying for five people to come to to know Jesus through this outward movement we're investing in as a church. I think it's going to happen. My faith is really high and this 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 is where I'll leave you. If your faith is not high, if as I say that, you're like, yeah, I'm not sure. I need you to tell me, and I will pray for you every day, that God would make raise your faith to have a high expectation of what he wants to do in and through us. I will pray for you every day. Because here's the deal. If you don't have enough faith, you can have something. of mine. Faith is like the Delta variant, highly contagious. Um, you, knew, you knew that at some point I would do like a COVID-related COVID faith joke, right? It had to happen. Um, I, I will pray for you every day that your faith will get higher. Because I am, I am so anticipating. Scripture says, "I has not seen, nor has here heard, nor could heart conceive what God has prepared for those who love Him." I'm ready. We're just going to have to go forward on our knees, yeah. Stefan, should come lead response time. We're just going to have to go forward on our knees, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. It's just.
1: Uh, just another story to encourage us, kind of, as we walk this journey with our blessed groups, um, one of the churches that we were with this week has has been doing, did it, I think, last fall, actually, and um, they, they're in New York, so it was really high level of restrictions with COVID and stuff, and so it was really challenging, but one of the things that was so cool for me to hear was that as they prayed, God gave them supernatural um, experiences of meeting their neighbors, so people who had never spoken to their neighbors, had no reason to speak to their neighbors didn't know how to do that all of a sudden the Lord was like providing these opportunities and so I just say that to also increase our faith that God can do above and beyond what we could even imagine in this moment as we sit here and think like yeah I might go to this Bible this book study this fall and we'll see what happens um but just to encourage you that God wants to do something through that Um, There were several different steps that Kyle kind of laid out from praying anonymously for someone to like laying a hand on someone um, and and asking how they're um, if they're feeling better as you pray for them. So in our time of response time uh, today, I just want to invite you to ask the father, what is the one step that he's inviting me to take today, this week? Like, what's the one thing you're asking me to do? So um, we'll take a moment, we'll think about that, pray about that. Um, I would even just say, Father, I just pray right now for our spiritual family that they would have such a sensitivity to your voice and that either you would bring to mind for them what that is or that as they think about it and their heart starts to beat, that they would know that that is you. So let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we confess that that sometimes our comfort is more important than taking risks. We confess that our busy schedules drown out the sound of your voice. And that, Father, that our apathy keeps us from hoping for more and risking and expecting more. Father, we pray like the Father that passage that, Lord, we believe help us in our unbelief. Father, I pray that even through the sermon today and through our time of worshiping together, of, of talking together, that you would increase our faith, that you would raise our level of expectation for what you could do. Father, that in a year from now that we would look back on this moment and we would not recognize ourselves because of what we've seen you do and how our faith has increased. And So, Father, um, I pray over each of these loved ones that um, are battling their own things that they're walking through and, and have their burdens that they're carrying, that, Father, that your voice would cut through the enemy's distractions, he would cut through the ways that he's trying to tear down And to dull their sense of hope and that you would come in such a fresh way and increase our desire for you and our expectation for what you could do that you would do the impossible we ask these things in your name amen